Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Hey, so listen, we are launching into a new sermon series this week. It'll last for a total of six weeks. And this sermon series is going to be focusing on prayer. And so in the midst of that, I just wanted to let you know that this morning's message is more of an overarching sermon that talks about prayer kind of a little bit broader. And then each week, we're going to take a look at maybe different concepts or realities of prayer more specifically. But this week, this sermon is going to really begin to launch us into that sermon series, so it'll be a little bit different than most. But again, I wanted to set the tone for the trajectory of where we're going to be going for the next six weeks. Look, the reality of it is, is most of us pray. Most of us do. As a matter of fact, at about 4.20 today, I'm assuming that most of you will be praying for the Green Bay Packers as they play the Saints. It's very important that that prayer need is in your smartphone and pops up. But when I think about prayer here at City and being so blessed to serve as the lead here at City for so many years, I was really thinking through kind of the concept of this sermon series. And here's what the overarching challenge or charge or purpose will be. That City Church will be more prayerful and Charlottesville will become more prayer-filled. Or putting it another way, you and I will be more prayerful, and the world around us will become more prayer-filled. The next thing that is really on my mind and heart for the next six weeks isn't rocket science, it's this. When something is prayer-filled, it will be better than it being prayerless. How many of you just, that just blew your mind? You're just blown away by that. Again, I want to say it again. When something is prayer-filled, it will be better than it being prayer-less. Reality of it is in Scripture, prayer is a massive topic. And so as myself and the lead team were feeling drawn towards prayer, it's almost like where do you begin? Well, obviously, one of the best places to begin, and we're going to get there in several minutes, it's the whole idea of the Lord's Prayer. But as I was looking at prayer, even in our culture, I found a great definition for prayer on a website where you would never expect it, and it was from the BBC website. Here's the definition of prayer. Christians describe prayer as a conversation with God. Prayer can be silent or said out loud. It can use set words like the Lord's Prayer or a person's own words. In prayer, Christians lift their minds and their hearts to God. On that same website, it broke down the different types of prayer. We'll probably cover these over the next six weeks. There's adoration, which is praising God for his greatness in prayer. Confession is where you own up to your sin in prayer. Thanksgiving is thanking God for his many blessings in prayer. Petition is asking God for something. And intercession is asking God to help others who need it. There's many types of prayer in the scriptures. But when you look at prayer in our culture, it gets incredibly fascinating. 
In 2014, the Pew Charitable Trust did a study about prayer in our culture. It said more than half, 55% of all Americans pray every day, while 21% say they pray weekly or monthly, and 23% of Americans say they seldom or never pray. Even among those who are religiously unaffiliated, they choose no religion. 20% say they pray daily. Isn't that fascinating? No religion. And yet 20% pray daily. Now, when it comes to those of us who pray every day, I don't think the numbers will surprise you. Women, you pray more than men. Give yourselves a hand, ladies. You pray more than men. It's because you know your husbands or boyfriend or brothers or whatever. They need it desperately. That's why you pray more. But when it comes down to it, for those of us that pray every day, women are 64% of the total and men are 46. Men, we must do better. Come on now. Now, it's also interesting to note, and this won't surprise you, that when it comes to Americans, if you're 65 or older, 65% of women and men over 65 pray every day. And those who are 30 or younger, 41%. Pray every day. Now, before we read our text, which is the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6, I would like to bring some pastoral thoughts. Again, this sermon is sort of the overarching trajectory sermon for this sermon series. And in the pastoral thoughts, there's several that I've written down. First of all, I remember when I first went to church, I understood the sermon relatively well. Worship made sense to me. But prayer was odd but good. That's how prayer was for me. I wasn't a praying person, wasn't really in a home that prayed. But I remembered stepping into a church for the first time as a preteen boy. And this was the kind of church that was filled with hippies that were coming to faith in Jesus. And when they got prayed for, they wanted to be prayed for. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't this 40-foot-away prayer. It was lay hands on them till they meet Jesus kind of a prayer. That's how it was. Here I am as this young farm boy and I'm watching this play out and prayer seemed really odd to me, but something in me told me it was good. If you're there and you're not yet a person who follows Jesus or you're new, just know that that was my experience too, that prayer was odd but good. Here's another thing that I know is that prayer is the measuring stick by which some Christians judge other Christians. If they think you're a praying person, then you're a good or solid Christian. Other believers will judge other believers by how they give their money or how much you work towards justice or how much you serve the poor or any number of things. But prayer, oftentimes in my three decades of pastoral ministry, I've noticed that Christians can take that prayer and kind of judge each other by it. Another thing that I've noticed is this, and I want you to catch it. I have no way to measure this, but I think it's true. Prayer seems to change the prayer more than their prayers change things. What I've noticed is if someone is a prayerful person and they pray often, it appears to me as the fact that they are praying changes them at times more than their prayers change things outside their life. If you want to be changed, become a prayer. 
I don't know why or how that works, but I've seen it for years. Then here's another thing that I've noticed, is that it is true, though, that the people who I've respected their spiritual lives, prayer is a functioning part of their life. And then the last thing that I've noticed is that people, even people outside of faith, rarely, if ever, will say, don't pray for me. Rarely, if ever. If you have friends that are outside of faith or someone who's new to faith and you were to say to them, do you mind if I pray for you? Again, rarely, if ever, have I had people say no. I know what it's like to sit on an airplane or even sit in a restaurant where I'm next to someone or I'm in a restaurant and they kind of upload their life and they're kind of sitting there over a cheeseburger. By the way, I'm convinced that Jesus ate cheeseburgers, but that's another sermon. But I've sat there over cheeseburgers where someone has just uploaded some of the greatest pains of their life, and I'll say to them, do you mind if I'll pray for you? And they'll go, what, here now? Really? Uh, no, I'd rather you didn't. I said, well, look, this is how this is going to work. You keep eating your French fries, and I'm going to talk towards you, but really I'm talking towards God, and no one around us will even know I'm praying. I've prayed for innumerable people in restaurants that way, where anyone sitting there would have thought it was a conversation. But after they uploaded the data of their life, I just simply pray over our cheeseburgers and say, God, I'm sitting here with this person, and I pray that you will touch them because they desperately need you. I have a friend of mine here at City who employs this, and he shares a great story. And the story is, is that someone was over at his house working, and they just happened to be out in the backyard together. And this individual was having a really hard time in life. And they uploaded that to my friend here at City. And so my friend said to them, do you mind if I pray for you? And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. And then you never tell people you want to pray for them right then. You say, do you mind if I pray for you? And then you go, how about now? And so the guy kind of looks around like, oh, that's weird. And he looks around, there's no one. So, yeah, sure, why not? So have you ever noticed that when you pray, you have to close your eyes or Jesus can't heal you or hear you? Have you ever noticed that? you got to close. So my friend, he's got this wonderful habit when he prays. He closes his eyes and he extends his hand. So here he is with this guy in his backyard. They're several feet apart, and he just raises his hand and begins to pray. I don't know what the prayer was, but something like, Dear Jesus, I just pray that you would touch my friend. And as he's praying, the guy reaches out and wraps his fingers into my friends. And he's just kind of standing there like, this is really creepy. And it's really strange. But he's sitting there holding this guy's hand in his backyard. And here this guy is. He's so unchurched. He doesn't know anything about prayer. He doesn't know that in order for God to hear you, you have to close your eyes and hold your hand out, right? Otherwise, God's deaf to our prayers. And so the guy reached up and grabbed his hand. And they sat there in the backyard and prayed. Listen, those are some very simple pastoral thoughts on prayer, but I believe that all of them are true. And I want to encourage us as a church family, and maybe this isn't your church or you're just visiting or you're watching us online. I really want to encourage you to be a praying person. In all the sermons that I preach, there comes a point where I will say this phrase, feet to your faith. Because I believe that faith always involves action, always, some way or another. And so feet to your faith comes real early when it comes to prayer because prayer is all about that. It's about putting action to our faith in who Christ is. I heard something once on prayer 
that really ruined my prayer life. I want to share it with you. This was a quote that I heard from a guy by the name of J. Robert Ashcroft. His son, John Ashcroft, was the Attorney General of the United States. I was really blessed for a period of time in my training to be able to sit under J. Robert Ashcroft, and here was the quote that he said, you are a part of the answer to every prayer you pray. And I thought, oh, why did he have to say that? Because what I like are the kind of prayers that are Jesus grenades. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just kind of lob a prayer over the wall, it goes off, and you walk away. You have no part to play. It's just blow them up with prayer, and then I'll just go on. And then all of a sudden, this guy says this, and I think to myself, oh, no. Gosh, I think that might even be biblical. Jesus even teaches parables on this. How can you say to someone, I'm praying for you, and not give them clothing or food? There's something about prayer where we are a part of the answer to every prayer that we pray. And you know what that has done? That has governed my prayer life. Because there are times I want to pray about things, but I don't want to do anything about it. And therein again, the person who prays gets transformed, and I think that's one of the reasons why. If I buy into the quote by J. Robert Ashcroft, it will transform your life. It truly will. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And just last night, while I was studying for this sermon and kind of wrapping it up, I just so happened to do it times when I'm wrapping up my studies, doing what all of you do at UVA. And that is while you're studying, you have something on Netflix playing while you're studying. And all the older folks went, how dare you do that? How many of us do that? Right? You've watched more movies and more stuff while studying. Well, here I am wrapping up my sermon, and I was polishing it off. And what you may not know is, is that right now today will be the finals for the U.S. World Wrestling Team, and I'm a huge wrestling fan. And so last night I was praying to Jesus, studying his word, and I was watching some of the U.S. wrestlers wrestling off to see who will represent the U.S. in the world tournaments. So here I am watching this. And all of a sudden, I noticed this little ad down in the corner. And in this little click-on box, here's what the phrase said. Everything I have ever learned, I put into this app. That little ad was down in the corner. And so I actually was looking at it and thought, isn't that pompous? How could someone boil down everything they know into one app? And then I looked to whose face was on the app, and it was Jordan Burroughs. Jordan Burroughs is the most famous U.S. wrestler alive. He won the NCAAs twice. He was the 2012 Olympic gold medalist. He was four-time world champion. He was a seven-time world medalist. He won the Pan Am Games innumerable times. He's been on the U.S. world team or Olympic team nine times, and he'll wrestle today for his 10th time, and he's a follower of Jesus. But here he said, everything I've ever learned about wrestling I put on this app. So I went to click on it, and when it did, it looked like I had to pay money to go any further, so I stopped. I just backed out. It was too expensive. But you know what I believe? I really believe this. I believe the Lord's Prayer is that. I believe that the Lord's Prayer is Jesus boiling down everything you need to know about prayer to really get started. There's more, but to get started is found there. It's right there. 
It's this prayer that you can close your eyes and memorize. Many of us can just say it, and we don't even know where we learned it. It's just a prayer that's a poem that has a cadence to us, to it that really helps us to memorize it. And so here we find our reading in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And again, it's called the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it out loud, but if you know it, I want you to close your eyes and say it with me. Jesus, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said this, this then is how you should pray. And close your eyes. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now here's what you need to know in context. That in Jesus' day, prayer was the center of Jewish life and Jesus was a Jew. And the center of the prayer life of every Jew was a prayer called the Shema. They prayed it twice a day, minimum. You would pray the Shema in the morning, and you'd pray it in the evening. It was the Jewish prayer. The Shema is actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You may have heard this before. Here's the prayer, at least the beginning of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then the prayer goes on. It's called the Shema. By the way, the Hebrew word for hear at the beginning of that prayer is the word Shema. It means to hear. And so for every Jew all over the world for centuries and centuries and thousands of years, they have prayed the Shema and they did it during the time of Jesus. It was the prayer. If you ever didn't know what to pray, you prayed that. It's what taught you how to pray. By the way, if you don't know much about the Shema, I'd really encourage you to go to the Bible Project and to click on their 10-minute video. It's phenomenal. It will teach you all about the Shema. But remember, Jesus is Jewish, and the Shema is the center of his prayer life. And so when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and he says, this then is how you should pray, everyone on the hillside closed their eyes, and they went like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And they just started saying the Shema, but stunningly, and you have to understand this, it would have shocked everyone in the crowd. Jesus does not quote the Shema. He does not do it. What Jesus does is he issues out a new prayer that will be the center of his movement, and it is not the Shema. Jesus' prayer is this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And everyone was stunned because the Shema is the prayer. 
But for followers of Jesus, it doesn't negate the Shema. But what this prayer does is becomes the center of the prayer life for every single Jesus follower. And yes, I believe we are called to pray this prayer, this one. You would notice as you look at this prayer that the first section says three things. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And the last section is give us, forgive us, and lead us. Just for the next few moments, I want to focus on the first phrase. The phrase that would have grabbed everyone's attention when Jesus was teaching on prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, when he didn't say the Shema, but he said the Lord's Prayer. The first phrase is this. Our Father, who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Interestingly enough, in the Gospels, Jesus rarely, if ever, calls God God. He calls him Father. It's new. It's different. Jesus, when he's looking at God, speaks of him relationally as someone who loves and cares and provides and is concerned. Now, here's what I know. When you hear the word father, it's not positive for all of us. I know this. But I want to challenge you because father and the concept of it in God is true and trustworthy. Even if your earthly father was not, don't throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Know that Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, challenges them to move towards God as our father. That's how he starts his prayer. This is key. Jesus does not start this new prayer by saying, hear, O Israel. He does not start the new prayer by saying, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, because that's how a lot of Jewish prayers start. Jesus does not do that. He begins with our father, and people in every language, in every culture have father. All of us do. So no longer was it just the God of Israel. It's the concept of the God of Israel is now reaching out to all peoples who recognize that they need a father God. Not only this, you cannot tell this in your Bibles, but the word that Jesus uses for God is Abba. It's Abba. That's not Greek or Hebrew. It's Aramaic, which I promise you everyone on the hillside picked up on instantly because all Jewish prayers are in Hebrew. You don't pray in anything but Hebrew. If you pray that prayer that Jews pray, you say it in Hebrew. By the way, if you're Muslim, you speak it in Arabic. That's how this works. There's a God language. There's a language in which you pray to God. And in the Jewish faith, you learn Hebrew, you speak it in Hebrew. If you're a Muslim, you learn Arabic, and you speak it in Arabic. And when Jesus brings the prayer, 
that's at the center of his kingdom, the first word, Abba, is in Aramaic. It's the street language. It's amalgamation of all the other languages. It's that street language that everyone spoke. And whether you know it or not, at that moment, Christianity changes. There isn't a God language. It's not Hebrew to the Jew. It's not Arabic to the Muslim, it's not some other language that you must know in order to pray to God. Now that prayer is being said that whatever language you want to pray it in, you can pray it in that language. What most of us will miss is that that prayer starts the trajectory for prayer in the kingdom of Jesus that has absolutely been unheard of. Whatever language you want to pray in, you can pray in that language. There is no sacred language. And if there's no sacred language, there's no sacred culture either. Because usually a sacred culture is what drives the sacred language. And now the prayer that is the epicenter of Jesus' kingdom is a prayer that was spoken in Aramaic. It's for all peoples. It's for everyone, everywhere. But notice what Jesus prays. Our Father, every time we pray, we are with a community of others. Every time I pray and I go before God, it's the sense that God is my Father, but He's our Father as well. Again, it's no longer limited to hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Now it's this. It's anyone who believes they need God to be their father. You are welcome to be a part of this prayer thing that Jesus is doing. And then he says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Now, let me be blunt. As one great theologian writes, to pray that God's name would be holy is like asking fire to be hot or asking water to be wet. It's the essence of the thing. So what does the prayer mean? What does it mean when I come before God and I say, God, I pray that your name would be hallowed or your name would be holy? It already is. That's the essence of the thing. It's this tension, I believe, and hopefully you've felt it in prayer. It's where you come before God who is relational and is your Father, and yet at the same time, God is holy. God's this heaven God. God is this God that is completely righteous and completely holy, and sin has no part of him. And holy ultimately means separated, set apart. It's that kind of a God. And yet Jesus' prayer calls us to stand in the middle of those. That God's a father who's relational and caring and concerned, and yet it's still that God who is holy and separate and righteous and all of the stuff that makes God God, and yet Jesus' prayer calls me to step into the middle of that. And here's why I love that. is because yesterday in commemorating September 11th, I could stand between God who's a God that's a father, loving, caring, concerning, and providing, and a holy, righteous God. And I can stand between those two true and at times seemingly conflicting realities, and I can stand between them 
And then I can bring September 11th to that God in prayer and say, God, I remember that day. I knew what it was like to sit there in my bedroom with my son and watch the newsreel across the television and that sinking gut feeling because my wife and I had been at the top of the World Trade Centers innumerable times. I knew what it was like to step out onto the observation deck of the World Trade Center and look down all of those floors and cars were the size of ants at best. And it dawned on me again what it was like to stand there and to watch those commemorative videos of all of that going down. And now I can stand between this God who's the Father, loving, kind, caring, concerned, and this God who is holy and righteous and calls me into a relationship with both realities of who God is. And then I can lift up September 11th and I can pray. And I don't know if you are like I am, but there's times that the only prayer I can pray is the Lord's Prayer. I don't know what else to pray. Because in moments like that, I want to pray the prayer I've been taught to pray. And so you just simply pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth where terrible, horrible, dysfunctional, broken things happen. Let earth be invaded by heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I would love it to be said of us that we have made the Lord's Prayer our prayer. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, can you one more time close your eyes in the Lord's presence? We're going to move towards a time of worship. But my prayer for all of us is that we would be a prayerful people so that the world around us would be prayer-filled. I believe that a prayer-filled world is better than a prayerless one. And God calls us to do that. Close your eyes in God's presence. And if you know it, say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.